The Stratford Show, bringing retail into the future. Hello and welcome to The Stratford Show. I'm your host, Ang Naya. I'm also the CEO of Stratford, where our vision is the same as the vision for this show, to bring retail into the future. Every episode, I'll be joined by a guest who is leading or innovating in some part of the retail spectrum, from design to manufacturing to marketing and even to sales. We'll discuss trends, learnings and ideas and really try to figure out what the top performers in your field are doing. Along the way, we'll discover some lessons you can apply to your own career and hopefully even have some fun. All right, let's do it. Hey guys, welcome to The Shrutford Show. Uh, the Shrutford Show is where we invite retailers to talk about uh, the industry and often we get siloed in, in various different parts and people have in-depth knowledge about things like marketing and data such as yourself and others know about production and others people know about the in-store experience. And we thought, hey, let's let's bring people together and actually share this knowledge because I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening, but it's happening and in, in certainly in silos. And, and if we can do anything to spread the information and help bring retail into the future that way, uh, then we should. So you uh, technically, you are not a retailer, but you've worked with a lot of different cool retailers. Um, so yeah, maybe give give an intro about yourself and and why and how you worked with so many cool retailers. Um, cool. Yeah. So um, I'm a Kiwi entrepreneur who's spent the last sort of almost ten years in New York and uh, the US. Um, grew up in Christchurch and sort of fell into technology. I just um, always loved kind of reading about all these Silicon Valley companies and people building crazy things out of nothing and uh, trying to do yeah change the world. Um, uh, there's lots of cool things, I suppose, that you see these days. But when I was going through uni, like no one was doing entrepreneur startup stuff. Like I think Zero was just about to start. 42 Below had just started. Trade Me had just started getting success. So it was kind of like there wasn't a lot of people to look up to. Whereas I think now there's like a really vibrant um, ecosystem in New Zealand. But yeah, I suppose um, the big thing getting into software was just the iPhone came out. And uh, um, I sort of stumbled in with a, a friend of mine into starting the first iPhone app company in the world um, back in 2007. And we um, helped uh, with the jailbreak market and we hosted all the repositories, which is a sort of techie term for like the backend servers for like the unofficial app store before there was an app store. Um, and so it was kind of like the illegitimate app store, but it was cooler because uh, it was illegitimate. Um, so it wasn't policed by the big man, uh, Apple. Um, but yeah, we, So you helped make the first app store basically. Yeah, well, we, we had a pretty good run for a while. So I think we launched uh, the first app was called Search. It was like a spotlight search for your phone. So you could search your contacts and address book. And people forget that like the iPhone launched and it was revolutionary. It was missing like real basic stuff. Like you couldn't take a video through the camera. They're like what? Like how, how is that not possible? You can only take photos. And this is for like a year and a half. The first year and a half of the iPhone, you couldn't take video. The only way to take video was to jailbreak your phone and download our video app called Showtime. And so we launched um, these apps and yeah, got like millions of people downloading them through the jailbreak market when there was only, you know, six to 10 million phones in the world. We had like almost half of them running our apps, uh, which was pretty cool. So um, yeah, we sort of Holy fell, fell into the industry and they kind of took us to the States a bunch and yeah, exhibited at Macworld and, and a whole crazy journey. And then, um, and then it took me a few years to get over there uh, legitimately. And then we just started working with tons of brands, um, building apps. So like, I think we worked with uh, one of our first brands was like HBO and then we worked with like CNN and 
uh, yeah, just you name it. You know, we we did about 120 apps in five or six years. So yeah, people like um, yeah, DreamWorks, DreamWorks, Sephora. Uh, we worked with Target, BP, Mac Cosmetics. Um, yeah, people from media, CPG brand, cosmetics, um, travel, Expedia. Um, telecommunications like T-Mobile. So yeah, there's just tons of brands. So we got a lot of exposure to people and it was a cool thing because we were kind of like at the emergence of mobile and we were like first, first to market. So we just, we got a lot of free lunches early on in terms of like really wicked clients that it would be very hard for a small five person Kiwi company run by a bunch of mid twenties, uh, guys in New Zealand to be able to work with CNN. You know, it's kind of crazy that we were running all yeah. CNNs like, polling for their mobile apps, uh, all their mobile software, their backend database, their push notifications and all the analytics for, um, for the elections in 2012. And it's like, you know, we were like five person company or something. <laughs> I think it was seven person company. So that's yeah, it was, crazy. It was pretty cool. I couldn't even get a visa to stay in the country yeah. yet. Like we were like, like our data was being presented, like as like the main source of data for like pollings and stuff for the elections. I'm like, this seems crazy that I'm like, you know, I'm like standing <laughs> at the Republican and the Democratic conventions with like, you know, there's all these crazy cats there like Rudy Giuliani and stuff. We obviously, you know, has uh, gone gone full full way well since then. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty fun while 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 it lasted. So yeah, that's kind of the background. Yeah, and then we sort of, we got into marketing automation. We raised money from Google. We sold uh, last company Carnival, um, which was kind of a mobile CRM to a company called Sail Through in 2016, and then. Um, worked at sale through helping run um, uh, partnerships and sales and, and kind of mobile on that kind of side of the company. And then we sold that company in 2018 to CM Group, which is owned by Insight Venture Partners. Um, so yeah, lots of, there were a few acquisitions along the way, but um, yeah, we learned a lot about mobile uh, technology and problems with retailers. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating all, mm. the, all the problems that people have with tech and retail. Interesting. And now you're at Solve. Yeah. Uh, can we can, let's, we found, let's talk a bit about that? What we, is, found, well, we found out that people have problems, and we're here to solve them. That's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> nah, um, yeah, we. And we, that's how you came up with the name. Nice. Yeah, I think Neil Neil came up with the name originally. Um, he was the mastermind. He was the founder of Sell Through, and um, he and I never got to work together. Um, yeah, when when his company acquired my company, Carnival. Um, he got pushed out of his own company. And so we thought we were joining forces and then I had to kind of work with the evil replacement. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of like a missed opportunity. And then a couple of years later, when we sold that, uh, sale through to CM group, um, he sort of had this idea and he was like, Hey, like, do you want to start this with me? And Nick, another guy from the company who was awesome. So yeah, we jumped at it. And I suppose the big insight we saw was like almost every single retail or e-commerce, um, kind of provider. Uh, uh, or seller um, basically goes through the same data maturity curve. And so there's people that are super sophisticated at the high end, which might be like, you know, a company that's invested a lot of money or it's someone with like a real tech backbone and they've kind of been around for a while. And then there's kind of the new smaller companies that start on like Shopify and they might be doing like five to 30 million in revenue. And those companies, you know, their data lives in third party systems. The big companies build custom and everyone sort of goes along this trajectory where the data is living externally. They try and stitch it all together. They try and get insights. They try and drive value from it. Then they realize, hey, I don't own any of this data in-house. I actually don't control it. 
if I want to move off Shopify to Magento, if I want to move from Clavio to MailChimp, it's like a big migration. It's a pain in the ass. And so, um, yeah, mm-hmm. like they sort of start building this custom data warehouse. And what we saw with our clients at sell through was like almost every single person was building the exact same thing, but like, what the hell? And they build it really badly. Cause like they build it for one purpose and then they get it up and running and everyone's like, Hey, I've got this marketing request and I've got this tech request and it needs to integrate into this. And so version one never works uh, to what they want. And then they have to rebuild it. And then their CTO quits because he gets poached by Google or some other company. And then the new CTO comes in and says, hey, the old CTO was crap. we got to rebuild it. And so every company, it didn't matter if it was <laughs> L'Oreal, I say Lauder, you know, like um, Birchbox, Jet.com, like we just saw them constantly rebuilding their back end. And the back end was like, no one wanted to work on that stuff. They want to work on the sexy front end stuff that touches the customer and like, you know, it provides a cool experience. And so we were like, surely we could build this once for all these e-commerce companies instead of them building it. Let's build it really amazing so that it can scale from 1 million in revenue to a billion without you having to rebuild it. And then the other side of it is mm. let's build it as a product. So, you, you know, like if you're selling shoes as Allbirds, like everyone says they're a tech company, but give me a break. Like you, you're, you're a shoe company. You, that's your core bread and butter. You know a lot about what people like about shoes and what they do. And like you building backend data infrastructure is not going to be a good use of resource and time. And it's going to take you multiple years to get the product that you want. And you have to hire a lot of people and it's expensive. And so we sort of said, okay, well, let's, let's replace that part. And then the second part is once you have all the data, it's getting the insights. And then we sort of get into like the Allbirds and the Glossier and those types of companies. And 90% of the data requests of like the queries, the analysis, the reports that they're custom building are the same. So we're like, well, if we just build this massive open source library of like, I think we've got 500 different data queries and 12 core reports to date. Um, I can spin up a client, save them having to build data infrastructure, and then I can give them all their reporting and like, an hour you know like it's nuts and it's been like a year building this custom so we see a huge opportunity there's going to be massive economies of scale where you start a new shoe company i can give you better analysis better insights than Allbirds has as a three billion dollar company for you as a one million dollar company and it's just going to get impossible to compete you're building custom and we're not people are like oh who are your competitors it's like our competitors are the in-house development team spending time building a custom data warehouse it's not even competing with another tech company um so yeah there's some cool stuff we're doing there um we, and- we it's funny we, we say the same thing people are like what are your competitors and i'm like well there's these other companies doing it in this sort of worse way but really our competitors is, is free returns and like people buying multiple pairs of shoes trying them all on and sending the ones that don't fit back so we have to be we have to be as accurate as them trying on the shoes and we have to be more convenient and it's like that's the real competitor and it sounds like you've you've got a similar thing going yeah and i think that the big point of difference of what we're doing at solve we're a data warehouse for e-commerce and and we're very heavily focused on people like shop uh, shopify customers and, and magento customers but um as uh, the the real big point of difference that's that's quite a cool thing is we're almost the first anti third-party SaaS company so everyone's a third-party SaaS company we deploy our whole product on our customer's own aws account so they own it um and it's built on underlying open source code. And so we're basically giving away the Tesla and then we're like the car mechanics maintaining and upgrading it every week. And so um, it's quite a different proposal to anything else out there. Like we're almost building the the anti-Salesforce company in some ways. Like, you know, all these companies that are big companies like Oracle and Salesforce are like 
slow moving, stodgy. The software's not that great, but it's pretty industry standard. They're massive marketing sales machines. And when you get to renewal time, they often put their prices up, they double their prices and you're handcuffed. You're like, oh, well, what's my option? I can't move off. It's gonna take a year to migrate off demandware and Salesforce and stuff. And we're saying, hey, well, if you wanna staff up a team of engineers, you own the platform, it's sitting on your stack. So you, we're actually saying the customer owns the platform and they own all the data. And so that's a huge point of difference. We're sort of flipping the switch. The whole industry is going zagging and we're zigging and we're saying, hey, like you should own it. That's the strategic long-term vision. And then we're going to be the guys that help you get value out of it. Epic, epic. So what, let's talk about some of the problems, I think specifically. So we've, we've talked about the problems yeah. at a high level being like, hey, you know, pe people have data, they can't sort of, map it together like, what does that what does that actually mean for a retailer yeah so i suppose like if we just look at like shoe retailers as an example um there's there's a bunch of problems but once you start stitching data sets together every platform you use has a slightly different view of that data and so what is a new customer versus returning customer what's um last click attribution first click attribution for a facebook ad and a google ad uh, what Google Analytics says drove revenue compared to Facebook, um, what Clavio says it is an abandoned cart versus Shopify, like they all have differences. And so anyone that started dealing with all this data, they realize it's almost impossible to get all the platforms to say the same thing. And so you even just like revenue numbers, it's like really hard. And so that's kind of one of the first problem points is like your data is living in these different systems and you can dump it in a data warehouse but that's why people do a lot of ETLing, um, uh, ex export transform load, or they might be doing a lot of data cleansing before they can get the data in a state where they can analyze or action it. So that's kind of the first problem is just like you being so reliant. And this is not, this is almost every company is being so reliant on, on third party systems. The other thing I suppose that's interesting, if you go to Allbirds website, they've got 51 tracking pixels on their website. So your data from a privacy point 51. of view, just 51. So um, yeah, your data is getting shared with 51 different companies. So they could say, hey, we're privacy first. They're privacy first for their one copy of the data, but they're not privacy first for the 51 other copies they've already given away. And so it's kind of a case of like, you know, the horse has already bolted, the cat's out of the bag. It's like, if you think about GDPR in Europe or California Privacy Act and CPPA in, um, in California in the States, um, like everyone's kind of band-aiding that part of the problem. So the data is not consistent. You're kind of like slightly abusing people's privacy. Um, and I think it will change. Apple iOS 14 is a big game changer because it's changing the way that um, you can kind of identify users. Um, and it's sort of diluting the value in some of those third-party systems. Um, so those are kind of early parts. And then the other sort of thing is like the actual action points that people want to drive is they want to acquire high value customers as cheap as possible. They want those customers to repeat purchase. So they want retention and lifecycle marketing becomes really important. Um, and loyalty, um, loyalty is a, a big issue. <laughs> and then you start looking at points in that conversion funnel and you think around, you know, returns, multi-size returns, discounting. Um, you know, I think for some of our customers, we see people where, you know, maybe 30 or 40% of their audience will only purchase a pair of shoes on a sale at, uh, on discount. Whereas there might be another 40% mm. that only purchase at full price. So you can start layering all this stuff down. But I suppose when we step back from it, I we kind of look at it all as like a, um, a sort of life cycle flywheel of a customer. 
you get awareness of your brand. They come in, they convert, they buy a peer. You hopefully do some lifecycle and retention marketing, evangelizing reviews. Hopefully they evangelize the brand and they might even refer someone and you, you start getting that kind of like organic growth. And then hopefully you get it to that repeat purchase. And the repeat purchase rate is one of the biggest things. Like I think everyone looks at LTV to CAC and, and one of the, or lifetime value to cost acquisition um, is one of the big ratios. And that ratio is always going to be bad if you can't get people to come around that flywheel. And if they come around a second time, mm. your, your LTV to CAC ratio goes up and the profitability of the whole company changes. So repeat purchase is one of the biggest things I think most of these people uh, struggle with, I would say. A lot of stuff there. And in terms, <laughs> give me a lot of stuff. Well, let's, yeah. let's let's drill let's drill down on the repeat purchases. Yeah. Um, how are other like what's the difference between other platforms sort of tracking this information versus what you guys see? Is there is there quite a big difference? Um, yeah. 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 So, so out there. A point of difference since we don't own the platform, the customer owns it. It's deployed on their stack. Hmm. They become the primary collector of their own data, and so. Pretty much most companies don't collect the data directly themselves. Their data is collected through Google Analytics and Clavio and Shopify and you know blah blah blah. And so they're always getting the exhaust out of those platforms. And sometimes that data is rolled up, sometimes it's aggregate, sometimes it's just processed. And so we give our clients a tool uh, to basically collect all the data raw. So they collect everything. So everything that happens on their website, email, ads, they they collect that directly. And so since they've got the first party relationship with their customer, they can generally collect almost five to 10 times more raw data than if they were collecting it through third party systems. So the first point of wow. is you should collect the data directly yourself. Then there are also less issues with iOS 14 and third party cookie blockers because it's direct relationship, first party data with your own customer. And so that's kind of the foundational layer is like if people can collect their own data rather than exporting it out of all these different SaaS vendors, um, you can actually collect higher quality data and a higher quantity of data. And literally some clients we're collecting five to it's even 10 times more data in terms of raw data. Hosting of data like storage costs is really cheap. It's minimal amount of money. So it's like, let's collect it all. Mm. And then in hindsight, if you have a question that you didn't think about, we can go back and analyze it a year ago or you know figure out what lifetime value is by first product purchase or you can always go backwards but it starts by collecting high quality data directly so i'd, I'd say that's kind of the first step if people aren't doing that and they're relying on these third-party systems um then it's a different equation because then a large part is like getting the data into one view and unifying into a single view of a customer that's kind of like the first step which is a problem you know and so that's probably mm. the first the first step of, of the of the of the process. Does that make Interesting. sense? Interesting. I don't know if you saw. Um, I, yeah, that made sense. I, I tagged. Um, I, we did the podcast recently with Alex Gino from um, who's head of customer research from Zappos, yeah. and he was talking about how they've how they've spent big on being able to unify that data because they, they yeah. have so much data, right? They do billions of dollars of footwear sales a year, um, and they're like, he's like, yeah, like. If, if I'm if I'm leading customer research, which he is, he's like, we need to understand that the same the same. For example, I think you guys were talking about how you have customers. Uh, some of your retailers have customers who would purchase a product at a full price, but then you're showing them 
10% off, you know, newsletters or whatever, um, sign up for this newsletter, get 10% off. And it's like, well, that customer was going to purchase anyway. You didn't, yeah. you just, you just cut 10% off your fucking profit margin. Right. Yeah. Well, how many, how many of you, your friends or you yourself have ever gone, how many times have you gone to a website and you've gone to purchase your existing customer and you're like, wait a second, mm. I'll sign up with a fake email address or my second email address or my work one. So I can get the ten percent off code as a new customer. So it's just like nuts. And so even like if you're clicking yeah, with that, I, I will not admit to having done that. <laughs> not with your own clients, I get it. But <laughs> compete, competitive brands. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it, sure. it's, it's, it pisses people off as well because you're like, the worst thing is getting a modal pop up when you're going to do something, and, it, and maybe it doesn't give you a discount. And it's just like subscribe to our newsletter, and they're like, I'm already a subscriber. Stop annoying me so i think um if you click that data like i think on average we increasing uh, we're increasing the number of first party identified browsing sessions for our customers about 87 percent and so that's like doubling the top of the funnel of first party browsing sessions so if you think about it another way if i go to nike probably half or more of the people that put something in their shopping cart on nike.com are logged out and so if they're using shopify or clavio or magento or these types of products they will not identify that user if they're logged out. And so that's like a, another thing. If you don't know they're logged in, you obviously can't trigger the abandoned cart email, but you also can't like make sure the experience is good. And so you might do that browser pop up. that's totally annoying and it's popping up on every page or it's popping up on first visit mm. when you're like, this is a loyal customer that's bought 10 pairs of, you know, Air Force Ones. Why am I trying to say, Hey, have you heard about Air Force Ones? You're like, yeah, of course I have. Like, I'm like the biggest Air Force One collector, you know? So I think it, it's a, it, it almost comes back to, it comes back a lot to Neil's old company at Sale Through, which was like one-to-one -one personalization. Like people are sitting on a treasure trove of first-party data. It's a, it's a treasure trove. And yet everyone's sort of looking at these things of like advertising more on Facebook and trying to acquire third-party data to augment their data because they think it's going to give them insights and more value. And they don't realize that the most valuable mm. data is the data they already could know about their own customers. The first party data they collect directly is far more, a far more rich data set than anything they're going to get third party. So yeah, if you know a lot more about your customer, you can build better customer experiences, make the website better, more personalized, the email marketing more personalized. It's just like flow on effects mm. across the board. So I think the next generation of shoe companies and retail companies that are using these types of technologies where they're clicking the data directly raw and they're not trying to like spend all their time building complex data warehouses to unify all the data. Like, I think these people are going to move a lot faster. And, you know, the, the all birds are kind of like the tip of the iceberg. You know, they're, they're a great poster boy of, uh, poster boy or poster girl of like, uh, high growth DTC. But that's like, that's mm. like part of the course now. You know, that's, that's the benchmark, you know. Interesting. So let's, Let's talk about what you can do. I'm interested to see what you can do once you've with like email marketing because we've thought about. I don't think we've actually spoken about this, but with with Stratfit, where we have people's actual measurement data, um, think about when you get to the end of a season and you're like, hey, post you know end of season sale, here's all these shoes. What if you could actually send a, a customer an email, be like, hey, these are shoes which we know are actually going to fit you based yeah. on your measurements. So now we're only giving you actually very relevant and very personalized emails. Um, is that stuff, is that, is that, is that kind of personalization possible with, with solve? And is that what you're yeah, trying to enable? Definitely. Everything comes back to data. 
like the, mm. the quality of the data can feed into marketing, into acquisition, retention, like all sorts of stuff, customer experience. So yeah, like if you're sitting on really good data, when, when you think about it, this stuff is all stuff that people dream of, but it's actually not that hard to do. And so I think like when you start thinking about sizing, if you know someone's size, why advertise them a sale when their size is out of stock? You know, that's like crazy. It's just going to frustrate them and come into mm -hmm. the sale and they're going to go like, oh, there's none in my size. You know, like it's just ridiculous. You know their yeah. size, you know all their purchase history. And it's actually richer than that. So what, what we do ourselves with our data platform is we build up an inferred interest profile on each customer. And so this is based on what they look for, search, click, purchase, open emails, see ads. And so if they could search for gumboots and Nike doesn't sell gumboots, but would store that against their profile. And then we could do a query and say, find people that have a high likelihood or high purchase intended gumboots. And we see, hey, and search for gumboots three times on Nike.com in the last six months, probably wants a pair of gumboots. The only problem now is like, we didn't sell him some, and so he might have bought some Reebok gumboots. Hypothetical. So I'm just talking about like wish list of like gumboot evolution. But um, yeah, so they're going to be the new Yeezys, I'm telling you. The new Yeezys, <laughs> gumboots. For, for, for farmers um, in New Zealand. Yeah, for farmers. <laughs> farmers will be like the new Gap. Uh, but yeah, you know, so, so building up that inferred interest program, it's not even just knowing what they purchase. Because someone might not have purchased, but they've given you all this data. They've clicked on the same size shoe like 20 times. They've looked at something. And so, yeah, you could totally create a segment, run a sale, or even like end of season and say, hey, look, you know, there's these items are still available in, in your sizing or, you know, whatever it might be. So, yeah, totally easy to do. And you should be doing it. You should be personalizing those emails with content that's relevant to that individual customer. And that, that, to be honest, that's on the mm. marketing side, that's where sale through was pretty amazing. You know, they were one-to-one -one personalization yeah, let, let's talk engine. about that so what what sort of personalization did you guys achieve and and maybe yeah. what, was, what were some of the some of the cool campaigns um yeah so i suppose like one of the cool things we did before we left that nick our co-founder led was um we did uh forward-looking look-alike audiences in facebook so when you run a facebook look-alike audience you take a pool of users that say maybe high value the people that have purchased you know, $300 of shoes in the last 30 days or three months or whatever. And you say, hey, these are our best customers. They're our gold tier. Let's take that audience. We'll download as a CSV from our you know, marketing tool from Shopify or whatever. And then we'll upload that into Facebook. Hopefully they're one way hashing the email addresses and not passing around people's private data everywhere. But um, they put it into Facebook and then Facebook runs this and says, look for people that look like this. And um, the, the, the only problem, it's hugely successful. It's kind of like the foundation of, of a lot of Facebook success um, of how they've driven revenue and how people use their platform. But that lookalike is backwards looking. So think about this for a sec. You, Ang goes out, buys a new pair of Yeezys last week. Um, we say, okay, let's find people that look like Ang. Wait a second. We're going to find people that that just bought a pair of Yeezys, mm. which we're trying to sell Yeezys. Don't we want to find the people that are about to buy a pair of Yeezys, not the people because if Ang just bought a pair, he just forked out like eight hundred bucks for a pair of, you know, seven hundreds or something crazy. Um, who would do such a thing? Um, but yeah, and 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 obviously for for your co-founders, obviously wearing Yeezys there. But um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you know like it's crazy so it's, you're getting people that have already purchased they might not be ready to purchase another pair of shoes for six months or 12 months and so what we did is we took all this first party data and we ran machine learning and prediction algorithms and we said let's take everything we know about a customer 
what they did leading up to that purchase, what were the signal intent? Maybe they're like looking around, they're searching, they're opening emails more, they're clicking on things, there's certain demographic, they spent this much time between their last sale and this sale. Um, and so we can take all that data, characteristics, event data, page view data, and then we run the model and we say, hey, let's find people that are likely to purchase in the next 30 days. And so we had one of our highest performing algorithms was a likely to purchase next seven day algorithm. We ran that um, over about six years, a five year period. So the algorithm was learning. Um, we ran it against 700 million people and uh, wow. we ran it with control groups with a 96.1% accuracy against control groups. So it was amazing. It actually worked. And we actually ended up winning the Facebook Spotlight Award for personalization based on this. And so what that meant was like, we're not finding Ang, we're finding Ang two weeks ago before he made the purchase. And so mm -hmm. running that algorithm into Facebook, we ran it with Rent the Runway, uh, which is a really cool subscription and kind of like um, high-end clothing rental company where you can get like a Tom Ford suit for a wedding and you don't have to buy it because you're just renting it. Um, and uh, they, uh, from memory, we increased LTV by about 30% of the customers they acquired. And we, we basically reduce cost of acquisition massively. And so we're getting cheaper users that spent more. So um, huge impact to the business on their advertising. And we ran a big case study. I think it was done with Gartner and we did one with Business Insider on it. But um, that was like kind of one of the poster childs of like using high quality data to then kind of acquire users. So that's sort of one example. The other example would be like, you know, just personalizing. You go to nike.com and my wife, got, Rose, goes to nike.com. You know, she's not interested in Air Jordans. Like she might be looking at like, you know, yoga pants or whatever it might be. Yet we go to Nike.com and we see the exact same website. Doesn't that mm. sound crazy? And it's almost like the retailers are still stuck in this like old school news publishing mentality of like, I'm the editor of my website. It's like, come on, get off the ego train. Like every customer is unique. What Ang likes, the fact that he's wearing his pink strapped t-shirt represent, um, and I'm wearing like a, a, you know, like this, my preppy uh, white shirt and looking all corporate, like we might want completely different things when we go to the site. Yeah. So why don't we tailor at least parts of the site to stuff that you're more likely to be interested in? If I've read 50 Jacinda articles and you've read 50 Donald Trump articles, I won't put that word out there, but <laughs> because I know you probably won't be reading, but you know, like, then maybe serve you another one of those ones. You don't, you don't want to create a full echo chamber, but it's different. Like it's crazy. Like that Facebook got so advanced feeding the echo chamber with all the bad side for politics, but yet retailers don't even do a little bit, even though we know from a data point of view that personalizing communications, website, advertising, customer experience yields massive results. Don't send me stuff about women's mm -hmm. high heels. You know, send me like men's easy and ear Jordans, like, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm my wife and, uh, well, a couple of people on my team at my old company, Kelly, she was getting Under Armour emails for men's jock straps. Not joking. Under Armour was sending her men's what? jock shit. Come like, on. And she's like, uh, I literally signed up and said I'm a woman. And yet they just, it's because they just send out the same email to everyone. They don't even do segmentation, let alone personalization. So I think the bar's pretty low for a lot of people in this area. Like I think they mean well, a lot of people have got great products, great brands, but like, I think they're getting let down by the technology because in their mind, they're like, we're using lots of third party SaaS and then we've got to build everything custom ourselves. And you're like, it must be a better way. <laughs> you know? So 
you know, and Stratford's mm. doing that as well. Like you guys are, you guys are helping with, you know, the fact that there's so much multi-size returning and people get, you know, sizing is such a big problem. Um, and yet people haven't really fixed it until now, which is crazy. Yep. Yep. Until now. So it's, until now, it's, uh, the future's looking good. The future's looking good for data and for sizing, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a good time. <laughs> How many pairs? What, of what shoes? are some of the easy wins? I'll flip the question onto you. Sorry, I'm going to flip the question onto you. How yeah. many pairs of shoes have you returned in the last two years? Uh, I don't actually buy that many shoes. Oh, um, but yeah, that's yeah. the reason. Like, I, I, but that's no, but that's the reason. Was like, yeah. I, I would, I don't, I can't be bothered with with returns. Like, uh, getting three pairs, three sizes of the same shoe and trying them all on, and then returning the ones that don't fit. Like, that's too much hassle for me. So I just don't even, I just don't even shop online. Um, yeah. Until <laughs> until Stratford, and now I'm actually starting to shop with the retailers that use us because I'm like, cool, I know it's gonna fit. And now the yeah. convenience factor is like ticked because right now it's like cool, convenient to buy, <laughs> but the, you know, there's, there's no guarantee it'll fit. And most of the time it, it doesn't fit. Um, not most of the time, but 30% return rates or Zappos has 50% return rates. It's crazy. Um, people, so people it's not actually, it's, it's people, wild. People don't realize the layers of problems with this. And like we sat down with clients recently and they're like, oh, you know, this is a nice to have. You're like, Are you kidding me? When someone gets something like my first three pairs of Allbirds, I bought a pair for myself. I bought a pair for an uh, investor of mine who was the co-founder of Discord, Eros. Shout out to him. He's done pretty well um, out in San Francisco. <laughs> um, just casual $10 billion company is his last coming. Um, but yeah, I bought a pair of him, a pair for him and his wife as a gift. And I bought a pair for my brother. So I bought three purchases of Allbirds. None of them fit. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? This is early days of Allbirds. Uh. I think maybe the sizing's got better. So I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt. But like crazy. So I bought like three orders and all of them didn't fit. I returned two of them. One of them is too hard to return. Like, I'm not going to tell Eros. I just bought him another pair and sent him another pair out. But they should have They should have said, what the hell? This guy's sending, like, multiple sizes of the same exact shoe to one person's house. Like, maybe there's a sizing issue. You know, it might not be, but, like, let's reach out and ask him. So that was a really bad experience. I had Yeezy 1 um, turtle doves, which I love. Um, but they're, like, really basic. I'm a size 10. I bought a size 10 and the 350s when they came out. Obviously, this is a well-worn 350. Um, I'm not a I'm not a put on a mantelpiece type person, uh, but you know this is um, crazy. So I bought my my. You sort of think, okay, Adidas, huge company, they're going to do everything well. I get my next one, I'm like I'm a size 10 and and Yeezy three, uh, 350s. Next one come out, I'm like, oh my god, I can't feel my I can't even fit my toes in it, and it's both the sizing and length, and it was the sizing and like they've done this thing with the design of the shoe where the toes really. Um, low, it's not very high, and so I'm not like a big person, but I've literally got blisters. I feel like I need to show you my feet to prove that I've got blisters from wearing Yeezys. <laughs> I feel like that's. I'll take your word for it. No, is this going to be the first time on a podcast where it's like someone's? You, I'm on a. I'm on a shoe. This is a shoe podcast. Like, don't I need to do this? I feel like I need to do this. Go, go ahead. Go I don't ahead. Know if you could, I don't know if you can see this, but like, I don't think this the, is, the quality is not that good anyway. Oh, but let's see. Okay. Okay, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we can do it. <laughs> but you know, like it's crazy. I've actually got blisters on my feet and the shoes not working because I was like, fuck, I can't be asked sending them back, which is crazy. So that's Adidas and Allbirds, two of the most successful companies. Yeah. So from their point of view, if I send it back, they're like, oh, there's a cost of shipping. There's a cost of reprocessing. Suddenly that becomes unprofitable as an order. But from my point of view, it's a really bad customer experience and you've just like tarnished what is like, I love Adidas. I love, you know, Allbirds. And now suddenly I've got like this 
sort of perception of them not really knowing what they're doing. And I'm like kind of pissed off because I've just like lost a month because I've had to like make it down to the post shop and send them back. And then it's taken another two weeks to get the right size back. And then it's not in stock. And it, you know, the Aubrey's ones took like two months or something. So it's just like, they don't realize that they've turned an evangelist to a detractor. Like they've gone from an MPS score of like mm -hmm. 10 to like an MPS score of like five or four. And so like, it, this is a problem. They need to fix that, you know? So I think that, I think sizing is a huge issue that people don't realize all the layers of it, of like all the problems it creates. They just think, oh yeah, there's a cost of it. You know, 20% return rate, that's a cost of doing business. And we just make sure we got high margins. They don't realize they're actually creating bad customer mm. experiences as well. So I'm evangelizing your yeah, product. Sure. Here. A negative <laughs> I appreciate it. The the yeah. negative customer experience is real. Like for for the Adidas and now for the Allbirds, who have a, a a decent brand level with it, they can afford to kind of take that brand hit. But if I'm like if I'm shopping online, I've been targeted with an ad, which is I mean that they're trying to target new people, right? So you see these new ads, you're like, cool, let me click on this shoe. Um, and if I'm buying a shoe from a company I haven't heard of before and I get it and it doesn't fit and yeah. it's like, can I be bothered with the return? Is it just going to sit yeah. under my desk? But like, I'm certainly not going to purchase again. Um, and it's like, yeah, the, the cost is so much higher for these smaller brands, which just don't have that brand recognition. Uh, it's yeah. like, you, you can't afford to be losing customers like this. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so nuts. It's like, yeah, cost of acquisition, and yet they're so happy to put more money into Facebook advertising. You know, it's just crazy. And yet Facebook's, you know, attribution model is like totally bogus. You know, they have no idea. They're totally over-attributing massively. Um, and, you know, like uh, how, how much are they over-attributing by? Really depends on the type of ad. I suppose like the, the big caveat I put is like, if you're just looking at the first purchase, a lot of Facebook campaigns are not ROI positive. Um, they might say they're driving 3x ROAS, but like what we're seeing is on a seven click seven day click attribution without the views, um, they might be actually doing like a one to one and a half instead of three. So quite often we're seeing just on a click basis without the impressions, which Facebook won't obviously give you the, the data on, on who they've seen. Um, but just even comparing seven day click to their attribution model, um, you know, someone might have come in and seen 10 Google ads one Facebook, another 10 Google ads, and then they purchase. So first click attributions, Google, last click attributions, Google, Facebook's in the middle and Facebook will say, we drove that purchase. And it's like, wow. what the hell? Okay. Well, yeah. you are one eleventh of, of the decision factor. So maybe you are like 10% at a max, you know, whatever. Um, so I think there's a big problem because it's not just over attributing, looking at their data, unless you got a complete view of all your ads, Google, Facebook, affiliate, Etc. organic email, like unless you have that full global universal view, um, you're going to be double counting across sources and you need to see multi-touch for every order. And so that's, we do that out of the box, but like, um, I would say, yeah, on average it's, it's over a hundred percent. We see some campaigns that it's over 300%. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. Like I could show you data where like, sometimes it's like, um, we've got a really good one we use in our, in our, in our kind of case study stuff where someone came in. Facebook said, we drove this purchase. I'm like, okay, well, I'm tracking that same purchase. And luckily this person clicked on the ad. It's not an impression. And so I can see where they came into the website. And then I look at the person's profile and I'm like, wait a second. I've known this person for six months. They're a previous customer. So Facebook said they acquired a new customer, but they're actually an existing customer. And then they came in, they saw the Facebook ad that Facebook said, we drove a purchase. And then a week later, they came in through a Bing ad 
which we didn't even know Bing, Bing. still existed. <laughs> but Bing for the win is, is their new slang, uh, slang sort of uh, tagline. Um, Bing, Bing for the win. Bing drove the last click attribution, drove the person, clicked on it, and they purchased from that session. So Facebook's taken credit for the ad, for the, for the actual purchase, when they're an existing customer and Bing drove the actual transaction. So it's just this, it's just littered with these kind of examples. But at the end of the day, it's very hard to audit the performance in Facebook. I'm not telling clients to turn Facebook off. It's still probably the best, you know, marketing channel to do at scale targeting of customers. And it's mm. easy to buy, easy to target. So it's, it's a great channel. But, you know, the flip side, I'm not hating on Facebook because um, I'm actually saying, Hey, you shouldn't just be looking at the first purchase. What happens if you get a 0.5 return on ad spend number? You spend a hundred grand, you only get 50 grand in purchases. You'd be like, let's turn off that campaign. But what happens if those 50 grand transactions, they come back and buy every month or they end up becoming having like an LTV of $500. Suddenly mm. like the row, the true ROAS on acquiring that customer is actually like six to 10 times. So mm. it, there's kind of two parts to it. One is the first initial purchase of like attribution is a big problem and we're sort of solving that. Um, and it's looking across everything and one, one sliced siloed view of just looking at Facebook and relying yeah. on your data is crazy that people are operating. They're like flying blind mm -hmm. in a black box and like just shelling out money. Just yeah. like sweet. So it makes, it makes sense though. Cause like with Facebook, yeah. Facebook doesn't know any better. They're like, cool. From, from our view, well, they've clicked <laughs> on the ad, they've made a purchase. Yeah. Right. But, but you have all the data. So you're like, actually we can see that don't, Google. Don't no? know any better. Well, I mean, they did send out an email a month ago that said, Hey, due to I, Apple iOS 14, you may see yeah. all your revenue and attribution and ROAS numbers significantly decline. You're like, <laughs> okay, like, maybe they do know better. And so, and so now they're like estimating, like they're trying to get everyone to integrate with their CAPI, which is their cam campaign um, uh, conversion, sorry, conversion API, which is great. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and again, I'm not actually knocking on Facebook because I think it's a great channel. But, and I think, I think the different way of looking at the data is not looking at the ROAS on first purchase, but it's saying that's one component. And now let's look at the quality of the user that you acquired. Did they come back or are they one and done? Did they just return the item? Like Facebook's not getting the returns process. So some of those numbers, you know, they're over attributing as well. So uh, yeah, again, I'm not actually like Facebook. We, we actually might get our clients to spend more on Facebook, but they're spending mm. in a completely different way because they're well informed. So I think mm. that's kind of one of the problems that people are facing is like, it's just easy to spend money the same way they've always spent. And that's kind of like when companies like yours, Stratford or Solve come out, like can you do or Salter, you come and do something different. It's hard because you kind of have to re-educate people and it's almost like they're sort of programmed to the old model and then they see something new and it's like, okay, well, you know, even the attribution stuff, you, you got to think about it differently. Like, you know, I think Clavio's abandoned card attributions done on either a five day or a seven day um, click on the email. It's like majority of people, if they, if that email actually drove the transaction, they're going to convert within 24 to 48 hours and probably 70% of the attribution is going to be within those first day or two anyway. But like mm. seven days, a pretty big window, like to say, Hey, this person definitely converted off this email, mm. you know, like seven days later, it's like what happens if they browse the site 10 times and saw four ads after seeing that email, you know, like there's just, there's so many problems. I think everyone, the way that people are looking at data is completely wrong, but it's hard um it's hard in their minds to do anything different or present it in a simple way that they can kind of action and understand and i think yeah. that's kind of that's on us that's on companies like yours and mine 
like it's on the new generation of companies to help solve that problem, um, which is a you know there's a lot of data out there and mm. it's hard to prove what's right and what's wrong and and actually give context or like quality to how to action it. Yeah. So what what are the on actioning it? I might be a retailer think looking at this and being like, oh, this sounds really good. Um, but I don't have like we don't have the internal expertise to get this done or like it's going to cost too much like how or like it's going to take too long to get up and running on, on someone running Shopify um, I'm thinking about some of our retailers now who are on Shopify like how how easy is it for them to get up and going and and how quickly would they see a, a return on on the investment yeah so it's about um, two out one to two hours of their time and then if they're on Shopify and something like Clavio, like we could get largely set up in one day. We generally give it a few days. We do a historical import of all their previous um, data and we sort of make sure that we've got Facebook ID, uh, business ID, Google business ID, Shopify ID, and just requesting access. They just press accept. So their one yeah. hour of time is like them clicking accept and giving us the IDs. Um, and then the only other big thing is we do a review of the UTMs. Most people have pretty bad UTM um tracking codes what, what and, is utm um so yeah. utm is like this kind of universal uh basically code for tracking um ad campaigns um okay. and so basically you use utm on a campaign to it's, it's called urchin tracking module i think from memory and basically um you attach it to a campaign and then you when when someone hits your website you can see the utm of where they came from so I if see. you don't have those set up you just see that Google, they came from Google or they came from Facebook. And so if we have the campaign name, we say, hey, they came from the August, you know, Strutfit campaign, you know, you know, holiday campaign or whatever it is. And so then when we do the analysis, we can break down each one of those by those individual campaigns. And, and you're not just getting the kind of broad bucket um, sort of, uh, you know, channel or provider um, names. So once you sort of get those in a good structure, it means that all the traffic that hits your site you're suddenly like sitting on much better data to to actually see what's going well and so this is what is a little bit crazy is like when we go to companies that are maybe like three to ten million in revenue some even at 20 to 30 million in revenue and then you go and look at the utm structure and and i suppose from like the output side of what you actually see we'll download a list of every purchase and if it has a utm code against it of like what drove the purchase, like what drove that browse, that last browsing session that resulted in a purchase. And so we'll mm. just see it and there'll be like UTM codes missing and there'll be duplicates and there'll be like inconsistencies. And so, um, and then some people use Facebook's automatic tagging. And the problem with that is sometimes it'll roll up multiple campaigns into one hierarchy. And so we'll just say Facebook campaign and you're like, okay. And so once it comes into your site like that, it's almost impossible to retroactively split mm. it out and say this was the august holiday campaign this was the strutfit 10 percent discount campaign and this was you know and so um that's that's often a common problem but yeah we can generally get set up from a basic point of view um same day and then people can we can be doing reporting the beauty of what we do is we're having massive economies of scale since we we're the data warehouse we structure all the data in the same way and then it means we can analyze the data in the same way so it means if i sign a shoe company, shoe company A, all the analysis they do can then be applied to shoe company B. And so as we get bigger, every every week, every month, we're building more and more analysis reports, machine learning, and it can be applied across every company. So within a year, we'll probably have like the largest uh, online collection of data queries that are available to e-commerce companies, which is pretty awesome. 
So you start getting right. like it means every time you sign a new customer, that customer is getting access to to basically more uh, sophistication that is automated that they don't have to do themselves that we do for them and help them. So mm. we we generally can show um, a path to positive ROI within the first month. And we'll do a one month recap wow. on, their, on their data, which is pretty cool. They may not, um, I'd say on average, most clients, we can prove that we're ROI positive, that we're actually generating more money than the contract value within three months, which is pretty Hacked cool. Yeah. You want to talk that, briefly about how you did that with um, abandoned, abandoned cart? Yeah. So the abandoned cart things in a couple of stages. So when you go to Shopify and Magento or Fabio and you use their abandoned cart feature, which is great. Abandoned cart's one of the, and, and just to be clear, this is abandoned cart emails to recover people that have abandoned carts and try and get them to convert. And so abandoned cart emails, you can do in multiple ways. There's layers to this. So most people might do one email. The best sort of practice is probably to do multiple and to then show the cart in there, have it linked to the right cart. Um, then you're going to get higher conversion rate. If they don't reply to that, maybe send a second one. If you've got a really good understanding of acquisition costs, you might say, well, to acquire a new customer is going to be $30. So let's give them a $10 coupon. If they don't convert on the second, we'll send a third one. So there's lots of email mm. tactics around it, but at the bare bones of it is someone adds something to their cart and you think, okay, if they don't convert, we'll send them an email and hopefully they'll convert off the email. Those emails traditionally can convert. I would say out of the box, a lot of people are getting them converting at like one or 2%. I would say wow. a, lot of our, a lot of our clients are seeing like, you know, six to 10% conversion rate. So we're increasing it a lot. Um, I'd say our first two shoe customers, we tripled the conversion rate um, of as a percentage of total revenue. Um, so from two to like almost 7%, um, which shit. was pretty, pretty awesome. And this is just free money. You set it up and it gets. And, and to explain the difference of how we're approaching this, if you add something to it, you go to Allbirds, just keep picking on Allbirds, even though they're a great company. <laughs> I, love, I love Allbirds. But I'm going to pick on them as an example. So they, they had traditionally used Shopify. I think they may have built custom now, but they, they used Shopify originally. If you add something to your cart on, on Allbirds, you don't get the email. If you go to the checkout screen, you still don't get the email. You need to be logged in. And so everyone that goes to a shopping experience and adds something to their shopping cart will not get an abandoned cart email unless they're logged in. And the second step is they have to make it to the checkout screen. So they need to be logged in and check out. And so the Clavio, Magento, and Shopify abandoned cart is technically a logged in abandoned checkout email. It's not a abandoned cart email. So, so even even if I have an account, I've signed yeah. up, but I just I, I'm just not, not logged, logged in because my cookies were deleted or some shit. You're anymore. anonymous. You're anonymous to those platforms. Huh. Yeah. So they're missing probably twice the top of the funnel. And so hmm. we we basically store anonymous data against anonymous profile, and then we look for signals. We're agnostic. For identity resolution, someone comes in off a, a SHA-256, like a hashed email address, they click on an email, but they're logged out, sign up for a newsletter, buy something. We don't care how we identify them. We just look for signals. And when we see the signal, we match it and we can backfill all that anonymous data. And so if someone's browsing and they're logged out, we see them as a identified person. We know they're a customer. We can trigger that email. And so we just, we're seeing twice as many people and we forward them into say Clavio or Iterable, one of those uh, email tools, and we just replace the way that they identify the customer. So we give them twice as much top of the funnel. And then if they're not logged in, they might not be as high a purchase intent as a category of people, but they're still mm. valuable. And so uh, with New Republic shoes. And there's LA, probably a lot more of them, right? 
Yeah, there's a lot more. So New Republic, I think in our first month, we saw their incremental abandoned car recovery revenue uh, increase by 31%. And that's month one working with them. So it's pretty cool. Like if you've got, like if, if a company's doing, you know, five to 10 million upwards or tens of millions in revenue, that's like meaningful revenue. You should be doing like, we should be able to generate hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, definitely north of a hundred thousand dollars of incremental revenue of mm. leaky. You think of it like a leaky bucket where we're putting some plasters on, on the holes mm. and sort of like, let's not keep acquiring more customers. Let's fix some of these holes before we pour, pour more water in the bucket that has no bottom. <laughs> yeah. Basically. But yeah, that's kind of how it works. So we're, we're doing true abandoned car and we don't mind if someone's logged in or logged out. Whereas third party companies are doing abandoned logged in checkout, which is, lower down the funnel we're doing higher mm. up the funnel so yeah free mm. money <laughs> wild <laughs> basically right. summary yeah free money like people are just and losing it, revenue if i'm a retailer who's like cool i want some of this free money what's what's the best way to get in touch with you through our site but guy at solve.io uh or through my friend ang runs a very cool shoe sizing company called Stratfit. uh referral code <laughs> we don't have a referral code <laughs> Uh, I'll definitely take him out for a nice dinner or something if he gives me uh, some kind of referral. But um, yeah, we're just keen to chat to people. Um, we're, we're very transparent about all the stuff we can do and, and we can show you a lot of it before people buy as well so they can kind of see the types of data they'll be getting. And um, yeah, so it's, I think we're onto something pretty cool. It's, uh, it's definitely the most excited I've been about the future of a company. I think there's a lot of uh, potential in what we're doing to build something really big. So yeah. Um, Fingers crossed, lots of work to do, but yeah, it's cool. Sounds epic, man. Um, I think for a lot of people who've been listening, there's a lot of gold in here. And also, f for a lot of, like we, we find this in, in shoe sizing as well. Like we'll, we'll talk to retailers and we'll be like, hey, what about this thing? And they'll be like, oh, we didn't know that. And I think I think for a lot of retailers, it's going to be this. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And this will be showing them like, hey, here's some questions you should be asking. And, you know, is your UTM tag set up correctly? Like, is it even properly attributing to anything? Um, yeah, you just don't know what you don't know. And I think this will this will open a lot of minds for people and, and hopefully they can take some action on it. Yeah, I would say like two final parting points for shoe companies specifically. Multi-size returns, crazy. It's crazy that people are ordering two shoes exactly the same in different sizes and the company's not doing anything about it. And so what we saw with our friends at, at New Republic and their previous company, Buck Mason, they sort of implemented this as well. was like, if someone adds two shoes to the car, either pre or post checkout, just say, hey, like, do you know that this, I saw you added a size 10 and 11. These shoes normally run large. If you're normally a size 10, I'd suggest you getting 11. Refer to our, you know, Strutfit and, and, and do your shoe sizing properly. We can see if they've used Strutfit or not before that. So we can refer them back to it. But like just doing that, you could decrease your, like we've seen this customer decrease their multi size returns by like 50% in the last three months. They're wow. doing mul multiple tactics. So this isn't mm. just all like solve creating stuff. It's them using tactics and sort of doing this stuff. But it's like, that's a great thing to be able to do. And then, the other thing I really love doing with shoe companies is looking at lifetime value based on their first product purchase. So then if you've got a lot of SKUs of different shoes, you can say, well, this shoe drives three times higher repeat purchase than if they buy this sandal. So the sandals is a sort of leaky product. You know, people come in, but then they don't repeat purchase. They either don't like it or they go buy something else or they're not loyal. Um, there's a problem there. And so we look at like every single SKU and when we say, okay, well, 
if these got high LTV, maybe we should be pushing people to buy these as their first product purchase. And then we show yeah. every single shoe they're likely to buy afterwards. So if someone buys a pink pair of slippers, who knows? Maybe their next shoe is a white pair of high tops. And we can say, hey, 30% of people historically have gone on to purchase this next. So we have a basically a, a product uh, LTV report that we do for shoes. And um, you can literally look at one product and then see like the whole journey of every single sort of like kind of spread out family tree of like all the decisions people make after buying that. And then mm. as they go down the tree, they can see how the LTV changes, the likelihood of repeat purchase and retention. So these kind of things are like pretty easy to do. And you can factor profitability into it as well. So you could even say like the shoe is not very profitable. And then you should be feeding that data into your actual inventory decisions of what products to reorder. Um, you know, and we look at things like sales velocity as well. Like how quickly is a shoe selling out? A lot of shoe companies are buying their next order of inventory and they don't even look at how fast they, they sold a shoe. So they look at high top and slippers and they say, oh, they, we sold 10,000 units of both. And they don't say, well, the 10,000 units took four months to sell this one and this one sold out in a week. They don't go, well, what's the prediction of the likelihood if we had unlimited stock over a three-month mm. period, how much could we have sold this? Maybe we should be ordering 30,000 units of this and 5,000 units of this. So there's a lot of stuff. This data doesn't just feed into customer experience, marketing, retention, acquisition. It also feeds into what products you're building and also... Um, what your 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 inventory and, and kind of like inventory management and, and predictions of, of kind of all planning. Lots of stuff to take in. But yeah, there's lots of things you can do. Um, world is your oyster if you've got a shoe company. <laughs> well, if I ever yeah. shout a shoe company, then I know which platform I'll be using. I'll come join you. We'll start it together. We'll start a shoe company. I like That'll it. That'll be dope. Good stuff. All right, yeah. man. Thanks for jumping on. And um, yeah, look forward Thanks. to talking more in the future. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Strutfit Show. I've been your host, Ang Naya. And if you enjoyed it, if you found some parts where you were like, hmm, this has added some value to my life, then please share it with a few other people that you think would also value this information or that snippet. And when they like it as much as you did, I'm sure they'll thank you. If you're interested in what we're doing at Strutfit, head to our website at www.strut.fit to learn more and get in touch with us. If you want to get in contact with me directly, you can reach me at ang at strut.fit. All right, that's all folks. Till next time, take care.